the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. And we're underway. It's a Monday. It is the ninth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2023. Appreciate you being with us. We are loaded up this morning, as we should be, because it was a very, very interesting weekend. We found a new speaker, or at least we confirmed the speaker that was found a long time ago. Kevin McCarthy is now officially in charge. What does that mean? What does that look like? And what did he surrender in order to achieve that uh, goal? What did he surrender? The concessions that he gave were extraordinary, extraordinary, making him, I think Matt Gates, who of course was the lead attack dog in the anti-McCarthy movement uh, in the uh, Congress, I think he said it best. He said, "Whoever, if he wins this speakership, he is going to wear the most, uh, what was the word, deliberate? Wasn't deliberate. I can't remember the exact adjective that he used, but straight jacket in the history of the speakership. In other words, he's not going to be able to move. If he does or says anything that crosses any one of the hardliners the wrong way, uh, they could very well make a motion uh, to vacate and uh, replace him as speaker. All it takes is one. So he gave up a ton. What does that mean going forward? We're going to talk about it. 
with uh, Congressman Warren Davidson coming up in the 11 o'clock portion of the show, I believe it is, at 11.10. We're going to be talking with uh, Warren Davidson, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Also this morning, uh, coming up, we are going to be speaking with Representative Ron Ferguson in hour number two at 10.10. He's Ohio State representative, of course, not uh, congressional. But State Representative Ron Ferguson is going to join us to talk about what really went down in the coup, the speaker steal of 2023, when Derek Maron, who was chosen by the Republican caucus in November to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the state of Ohio, in the General Assembly, in Columbus, um, and 22 Republicans stabbed him and the party in the back, while then partnering with 32 Democrats to elect a moderate, lobby love, lobbyist-loving Jason Stevens as uh, Speaker, giving up Lord only knows what kinds of concessions to the Democrats in that, uh, in that ridiculous story. So Ron Ferguson has got some thoughts on this. He is livid. He is very angry at Jason Stevens. He's very angry at all at the entire gang of 22, as uh, some people are calling them. One of the people calling them the gang of 22 is John Stover, who is uh, one of the leaders of the Ohio Value Voters Organization. Uh, and John Stover, as a matter of fact, is going to be joining me right after Representative Ron Ferguson at 1035. He's going to be calling in to join us and talk about the statement put out by OVV today on the speaker steal. So very much looking forward to those conversations as well as your conversation. Hour number one is your best chance to get in. I've got a great, great uh, hour of uh, radio planned for you, and I welcome you to be a part of it at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. So we've got three great guests. We're going to be talking to John Stover. We're going to be talking talking to Ron Ferguson. We're going to be talking to Warren Davidson all this morning. Jim Jordan, if you're wondering why he's absent, Jim Jordan will not be joining us this morning simply because he is on a flight right now. He will be with us on Wednesday morning at 9.35 for his regular weekly visit. This time, it will be the first visit I get to call him the chairman of the uh, House Judiciary Committee. And that is extraordinarily important for a lot of reasons. We're going to talk about all of those reasons coming up today. Now, before we get to the opening monologue and we hear about the predicted, expected, ridiculous waste of time that was the Biden visit to a whitewashed border before his arrival. I'm going to ask you to rise. Patriots, as you are, please go ahead and stand. Face the flag that you have nearby. If you don't have one, let's work on that. If you, uh, uh, But you can just close your eyes and imagine Old Glory waving in the breeze, if you would. But put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a believer in the Biden administration's stated plan and stated intention to legalize and provide amnesty and even a pathway to citizenship for all illegal aliens that they like to call undocumented persons, if you're a believer that that must happen before they'll agree to actually securing the border, well, then you have no respect for that flag whatsoever anyway. You may, you are therefore exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee, like your favorite ex-quarterback does. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands... One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So when I interviewed Jim Jordan 
Thursday this past week, which was still in the middle all of of all of the uh, uh, drama on Capitol Hill uh, about the speakership. And Kevin McCarthy at the time, I don't know, where was he? Eight, nine, ten, whatever it was. Tenth vote that he did not win. And the hardliners, the outsiders, the uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, they they uh, were doing everything they could. They were still, I want to say at that time, I don't know, 16, 17 strong out of the 20 that originally objected to uh, Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. So we talked at great length, Jim Jordan and I did about that. But I threw in a question at the very end to Jim Jordan about Joe Biden's planned visit Sunday to the border. And I didn't even plan this. I'm going to replay this for you now super quick. I didn't even plan this at the time. It just came to me uh, when I said this to Jim Jordan. Yeah, you know, I, I hope those things, too. And here's what I fear. He goes down there, and between him and the leadership in Mexico, they're going to whitewash an area of the border. They're going to completely clear it. They're going to make sure that the press pool that follows him looks and says, what's everybody complaining about? This is There's hardly anything here yeah. at all. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the reason he hasn't yeah. gone down, because he's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be exposed when he goes there. They're going to have to follow. And somebody besides Bill Malugin on Fox is actually going to have to cover the border. Nobody else yep. is doing it. And that's what I'm afraid is they're going to whitewash it have a clean area and say, look, this is no problem. We're okay. Yeah. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope that there's, there's some people still in the, in the mainstream press who are going to report the facts and the truth, um, well, not just the folks at Fox and some of the conservative outlets. Uh, so let's hope so. That, that, question that i asked of congressman jordan was not planned like i said i i don't write all my questions out anyway i like to go go with the flow of a conversation and ask follow-ups to specific statements to everybody that i interview but but that was not a planned question it wasn't even something i thought about until i started speaking it just came out and you know what it was exactly correct it is exactly correct because that's what happened yesterday headlines all over the place El Paso clears downtown of expansive migrant camps ahead of Biden visit. This is the Washington Examiner. I saw this morning before and after photos of downtown El Paso. Before coming from Thursday, after coming from yesterday when Biden went. The before, all kinds of makeshift homeless camps, tents and boxes and and tarps and 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 everything that they can find to try to uh, uh you know provide a place for them to stay and camp as they wait for their opportunity to get pushed into another part of the United States but it it was just overrun downtown i can't imagine being a resident of a place like El Paso Texas or any of the other border towns that have to deal with this massive influx of non-English speaking people just camping on their streets, camping on their streets, using their streets as, as facilities, if you understand my meaning, uh, plumbing facilities, so to speak, um, you know, uh, begging, uh, and sometimes harassing because, you know, as you know, these are not all good people. These are not all good people who broke our law, break our laws to come across that border and take up residency in the United States. Many of them are very bad people. Many of them have to do with the trafficking of drugs and human beings. Many of them are gang members. Many of them are terrorists on watch lists and more. But um, City Sidewalks reports the Washington Examiner that transformed into makeshift homeless camps as tens of thousands of illegal immigrants were released into downtown El Paso in recent months have been cleared out ahead of Joe Biden's arrival Sunday. 
The hundreds of people camped out on individual blocks surrounding the Greyhound bus station and Sacred Heart Church have been moved out of eyesight by local El Paso police officers and federal Border Patrol agents, according to law enforcement officials who spoke with the Washington Examiner on Thursday. The community residents that experienced it on a daily basis were fed up, and they made it known, a senior federal agent wrote in a text message. Crime was getting bad, and many residents were complaining. Some migrants even took over private parking lots and were charging the people to use them for parking. The undertaking began last week after authorities discussed or discovered several groups of people in the streets were pretending to have been released by Border Patrol, but had never been arrested and were considered unlawfully present. Simultaneously, law enforcement began receiving more complaints of crime, safety concerns, and poor sanitation, that's what I was referring to before, from residents and business owners near the impacted store. Uh, or spots, really, beg your pardon. I, what am I bringing this up for? I'm bringing this up for because they didn't want Biden, Biden to see any of that. None of it. Law enforcement began receiving more complaints of crime and safety concerns. A second federal agent said that law enforcement had to respond to incidents of carjackings and stolen property, drug possession and distribution. Yesterday, two were pulled over in a stolen Jeep. A second agent wrote in the message, adding that the city had ordered the crackdown. The city had ordered the crackdown, not federal immigration officials. Bunch of illegal stuff going on downtown. Businesses getting hit financially. Border Patrol agents are not responsible for enforcing local or state laws, but were called in by El Paso police to help with immigration, quote, concerns, end quote, which only federal police can make arrests for. The millions of dollars in funding that FEMA has agreed to award to El Paso to cover the costs of helping illegal immigrants on the street came with a caveat that the city and nonprofit groups must verify that every person who is fed or sheltered has documents showing they were released by police. And it goes on like this, but the bottom line is this is not ordered by uh, local police, or uh, uh, Border Patrol, rather, but only by local police, and only then with collaboration and coordination from federal law enforcement, meaning the Secret Service. I've got friends down in Texas that I asked a little bit earlier this morning, who made the call and the decision and the orders to whitewash the site of Biden's visit so that the press would not see the massive numbers of, of homeless, illegal aliens uh, destroying the cities in which they, they're, they're staying right now. I said, I knew this would happen, hence the interview I played with Jordan. Uh, but was it local officials in El Paso? Was it Governor Greg Abbott? Or did the feds come down in advance to clear it so Biden wouldn't see the truth? My Texas friends who are in media told me Secret Service has total control is the prez in town. They call the shots and the locals have to execute. So, One would think that local officials in El Paso, Texas, where Biden went, one would think that their first order of business would be to bring the president down and show him all of it, because they can't stand it. They want him to see exactly how bad things have gotten because of his policies, his own personal opening of the border and then sending out Mayorkas and KGP diversity hire to say the border isn't open, the border is closed. But it's literally open, not figuratively, literally open. And they want they would want Biden to see what the ramifications of his open border policies were. 
but they weren't allowed to show it because Secret Service comes in and says the president is coming. This is what must be done prior to his arrival. Now, maybe it's for security's sake to a degree, right? I mean, I can understand uh, the president of the United States not wanting to walk among uh, a a massive group of thousands of non-Americans, a bunch of foreign nationals who are here illegally, who knows who'd want to take a shot at him? Who knows who might want to do something, uh, you know, drastic? I understand Secret Service's concern. They want to protect the president. I get it. It's their job. But when the Secret Service orders the clearing of the area in order to bring the president there, the Secret Service defeats the purpose of visiting the area, right? It defeats the purpose. Now El Paso's leadership can't show the president what the problem looks like. Therefore, pleading with him to change it, to do something about it. They clear it for security purposes. And it defeats the purpose of going down there and seeing how, how, how bad the problem really is. The before and after photos are just striking. Uh, the Daily Mail, the London Daily Mail's got people on the scene, too, and they've taken some incredible pictures. I should tweet these out. In fact, I may have already done it. I may have retweeted them out. Uh, some of the pictures of what it looked like before and what it looked like after, before the cleanup for the president's arrival and after. So if you're Joe Biden and you're walking along the border wall and there's no activity, and then you walk into a downtown sector or section of downtown El Paso and you see nothing but clean sidewalks, no signs of you know thousands of illegal immigrants there, no signs of fentanyl, no signs of drug trafficking, no signs of all the things that we have been reporting and, re- and, and, and concerned about, you're walking away from there going, see, why did you all freak out that I hadn't been to the border? I just went to the border and there's nothing wrong. It's all good. And if we do want to fix America's immigration policies, well, then we have to fix America's immigration policies, which have nothing to do with the border. Biden's were, and this is something, and we'll get to our break here, this is something that is fundamental. The difference between conservatives and leftists. The difference between Americans who believe in sovereignty and leftists who believe in globalism and open borders. The bottom line is, when we speak of immigration, we speak of border security. When they speak of immigration, they speak of amnesty. And that's the difference. When Joe Biden says the Republicans aren't serious about coming up with a, with a solution to immigration reform, he means we need to give amnesty and pathways to citizenship for 11 to 20 million illegals who are already here. Then we'll talk about the border security portion of the equation. If you're conservative, it's the other way around because you're smart. Because you have a brain, because you understand common sense. That the first thing we do is shut off the spigot so the flow doesn't continue. You don't try to bail out your basement if you get flooded. If your basement is leaking, you don't bail, you don't start throwing water out before you actually seal off the leak. You have to shut off the flow first, then you can worry about cleaning out the mess. And that's the difference. Conservatives understand that. Shut off the flow first secure the border, then we'll talk about what to do with the people who are in the country. But the Democrats know damn well that conservatives will not agree. They will not agree to any kind of amnesty unless there is uh, a gun pointed at them, and in this case, a figuratively gun pointed at them, which would be the massive flow coming across that border. It's the only card he has to play. 926, Always Right Radio, ready to go on a Monday morning on AM 1420, The Answer.
929, we got a news break coming up in a minute. Brandon Judd, the president of the National Border Patrol Council, said his 18,000 members have been waiting two years for Biden to come. By the way, this is the first time Biden has come not just in two years as president. It's the first time he went down anywhere near the border in 50 years of public office. And to be truthful, it's the first time he went anywhere near the border in 80-plus years of his life. How staggering is that to be in office for 50 years and not care whatsoever what's going on down in the border uh, between uh, our country and Mexico? Brandon Judd said they've been waiting two years for Biden to come down and see what they had to deal with every day. He said the White House knew what it was doing with the January visit. The number of daily encounters had dropped from about 7,500 a couple of weeks ago to around 3,300 now, a seasonal pattern that happens every year. And yes, Brandon Judd said Biden has all those figures. He knows all the trends. He knows when the best time to come to the border is, and he knows the beginning of January is absolutely the best time. But in addition to that, He knows to come to a place where they're going to clear it out, whitewash it, make it look like there's nothing going on here. El Paso being cleaned up as if nothing unusual ever happened there, just in time for Biden's visit to the border. Brandon Judd uh, said in a in a tweet that he uh, announcing the visit, we suggest just landing in Des Moines, Iowa and telling him it's El Paso. He'll never know the difference. He was spot on. That's what made this a complete waste of time and a photo op. And we'll be talking about it as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, after the news. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance on The Answer. How much of an impact do you think these changes will actually make? They're not going to make an impact whatsoever. Uh, immigration laws have been on the books for, for you know, past 40, 50 years. And they're just, uh, this administration is just refusing to enforce those laws. My county is being completely overrun. That's a Texas sheriff of Border County uh, saying Biden's little imp- uh, his little visit down there and his uh, phony border enforcement plan that he's talking about, quote, will not make an impact whatsoever. Uh, the governor of Texas we should be paying attention to as well. You know, we t- it's funny. We talk about the border states. Uh, it's Texas, Arizona, uh, New Mexico, and California. And, and Texas is the only one that seems to care. Uh, Doug Ducey, the uh, 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 former governor now of Texas, now it's going to be, or excuse me, of Arizona, it's going to be far worse now that Katie Hobbs, the leftist, stole the election from Kerry Lake over in Arizona. There'll be nothing. But Ducey, before him, did join a little bit ceremoniously, and he sent a couple of planes full of migrants out to other parts of the country as well, the way Abbott has been doing. But Texas is clearly bearing the brunt of this. And Governor Greg Abbott has been doing, I think, a pretty doggone stellar job at shining a national spotlight on this. He has shipped tens of thousands of migrants from Texas to other uh, blue cities and states thus far. Uh, the most notorious, no, I'm sorry, it was DeSantis who did the most notorious by sending a, a couple of plane loads up to Martha's Vineyard. But, but Greg Abbott has been working very, very hard. And yesterday, as Biden finally visited the border, Uh, Governor Greg Abbott spoke and ripped Biden for not consulting with him even once about what millions of Texans, millions of Texans are dealing with with this massive crush of millions of migrants invading their state. During this entire time, Joe Biden has not called me. He did not call me, uh, nor his staff uh, called and uh, let us know either about his visit or to invite us uh, until uh, last night. uh, We got a random email to uh, one of my staff members. Uh, asking if I would be there to meet him on the tarmac. 
and so they have failed to communicate. And listen, uh, this visit uh, is about uh, two years too late and about $20 billion short of what needs to be done. All he's going to do down there uh, is rearrange uh, the, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. He's not going to achieve any solutions uh, that will make uh, the border safer, more secure, and stop illegal immigration. So what he just said there is extremely important and is very, very telling. That the Biden team, when coming to Texas to visit the border for the first time in his presidency, and as I noted, for the first time in his life, but at a moment of, of crisis, uh, humanitarian and national security crisis, um, he says, hey, Governor Abbott, or his team says, hey, Governor Abbott, will you meet the president at the, at the tarmac? Don't accompany the president to the border. Don't accompany the president to the sectors where there is a massive flow of illegal migrants continuing across the country and across the border in El Paso and into this country. No, 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 no. We don't want you to do that because we are, we are planning our own little tour. We don't need your guided tour. We don't need you to take us to where the trouble is. We don't want anybody to see the trouble. So you let us do our own little guided tour of cleaned out areas so that we can stand there and say, okay, well, this doesn't look so bad and tell the American people by way of the American press, the press pool that follows the president everywhere, that, look, the conservatives have been making it up. Fox News has been using, uh, you know, uh, uh, edited video. Anybody who's been reporting on the, the crisis at the border is, is obviously exaggerating things for political gain. That's what Biden himself said last Thursday before he came on Sunday. He said that there are, there are hard-line or far-right conservatives who are always going to use immigration for, to score political points. That's why they don't want to solve immigration by enacting uh, comprehensive immigration reform. So Abbott, and I want to share this with you because I think it's important, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas did the best, next best thing since he wasn't invited to go with the president to see the actual impact of his horrific border policies, Biden's border policies. Since he wasn't allowed to go with him, he did the next best thing. He wrote him a letter, and he had it hand-delivered to Joe Biden. Now, I don't know who did the hand-delivery, but this is the story reported by multiple news agencies. This was hand-delivered not to the Biden team, but to Joe Biden. And here's what it says. January 8th, 2023, this is as of yesterday. The Honorable Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States, dear President Biden, your visit to our southern border with Mexico today is $20 billion too little and two years too late. Moreover, your visit avoids the sites where mass illegal immigration occurs and sidesteps the thousands of angry Texas property owners whose lives have been destroyed by your border policies. Even the city you, you, you visit has been sanitized of the migrant camps which had overrun downtown El Paso because your administration wants to shield you from the chaos that Texans experience on a daily basis. This chaos is the direct result of your failure to enforce the immigration laws that Congress enacted. Under President Trump, the federal government achieved historically low levels of illegal immigration. Under your watch, by contrast, America is suffering the worst illegal immigration in the history of our country. Your open border policies have emboldened the cartels who grow wealthy by trafficking deadly fentanyl and even human beings. Texans are paying an especially high price for your failure, sometimes with their very lives, as local leaders from your own party will tell you if given the chance. 
All of this is happening because you have violated your constitutional obligation to defend the states against invasion through faithful execution of federal laws. Halfway through your presidency, though, I can finally welcome you to the border. When you finish the photo ops in a carefully stage-managed version of El Paso, you have a job to do. You must comply with the many statutes mandating that various categories of aliens shall be detained and end the practice of unlawfully patrolling aliens en masse. You must stop sandbagging the implementation of the Remain in Mexico policy and Title 42 expulsions and fully enforce those measures as the federal courts have ordered you to do. You must aggressively prosecute illegal entry between ports of entry and allow ICE to remove illegal immigrants in accordance with existing federal laws. You must immediately resume construction of the border wall in the state of Texas using the billions of dollars Congress has appropriated for that purpose. And you must designate the Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. On behalf of all Americans, I implore you, Secure our border by enforcing Congress's immigration laws. Sincerely, Greg Abbott, Governor. That is about as strong, I think, as anybody can make this. And I think Greg Abbott deserves a lot of credit for that. The governor of Texas is fighting for Texas citizens in the same way I would expect Ohio's governor to fight for Ohio citizens if we had a decent governor. We don't. You know, it's kind of funny, and, and, and there's a reason why I'm spending this much time on the immigration issue. First of all, we are all border states now because they're coming in in such record numbers to Texas and through Texas. They are coming to all other 49 other states. They are coming to Ohio. Um, they are bringing the same types, just not in as many numbers, not as large of numbers, the same types of problems that... Donald Trump once said when he came down a golden escalator and announced his candidacy in 2015. They are bringing criminals. They are bringing rapists. They are bringing drug traffickers, gang members, cartel members, and so much more. It's real. That doesn't mean all of them, but it means they are interspersed with the populations of individuals coming across that border. And they're coming to our state, too. So I cover it this much this morning for the purpose of reminding everybody that this isn't just a border state issue because we're all border states, but the second reason this matters so much to me, and I feel like it's worth our time and our attention, is that we have to stop thinking that it doesn't impact us because it doesn't impact us directly, meaning Texas is way the hell down here, and we're way the hell up here. Or, excuse me, it's down there and we're up here. It's, It's not my problem. I mean, really, we go about our day. You hop in your car, you go to work, you hop in your car, you come back, you don't see migrant shell, or migrant camps. You don't see people accosting you as you walk to your vehicle after you leave Playhouse Square or leave a Cavs game. You don't, you don't have, you don't have fears of people pushing fentanyl near your kids' schools. That happens way down in Texas. And we think of it almost as a foreign country because in many ways, it has become a foreign country. It's a state filled with foreigners against American law, doing very, very bad things in many, many cases. And we can't see it every day. Unless you're looking for it by watching Fox 
or a couple of other conservative news outlets or maybe a couple of conservative websites that have cameras down there on the border that are showing you these things. Unless you seek them out, you don't see them. And when you don't see them, you don't care about them. And Texans, well, they're not Ohioans. And you don't think this consciously. Don't get me wrong. You're not consciously thinking, ah, the hell with Texan. Texan is synonymous with American, just like Ohioan or Iowan or Wisconsin. All of these people, if you are Wisconsin, I guess it would be Wisconsinite. i got to make sure I have that right. The point is, people of all of these states that we aren't necessarily next to or seeing firsthand are still Americans. And do you care about Americans? Do you care about the American people? Do you care about the American family? If you do, then you care about the Texas families. You care about the Texas landowners, the property owners, the people who are dealing with this, and the extraordinary number of victims in the state of Texas of violent criminals coming across that border. So I guess what I would do is urge you and implore you to get in touch with the new majority leadership. Uh, well, just the new majority, even just your representation um, in the new Congress and tell them we demand that we do more than just, you know, send a letter to, to Joe Biden, that we do more than just, uh, uh, you know, lament publicly in interviews or on talk shows like mine how bad the border has gotten and how bad the immigration crisis is, but demand that they pass legislation now that there is a majority, even though it's a slim 10-seat majority in the House of Representatives, you get the Republican Party to pass with their majority legislation demanding the Remain in Mexico policy be, and, and it's kind of funny, we'd be talking about demanding that new laws be enacted to support existing laws. Shouldn't take that. But resolutions need to be passed at the very least to say, look, we already have a Remain in Mexico policy on, 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 on the books. Joe Biden tried to rescind it. Uh, he was stopped by a judge from doing so, so it should be enforced. Anybody who comes to this country and says, asylum, asylum, I fear for my life, I fear that I'm being, uh, that I'm being uh, harassed, or discriminated against, or persecuted for religious beliefs or other beliefs, whatever it might be in my home country, you say, oh, wow, that's a pretty strong claim. Here's what you do. Turn around now. Walk back this way. You see that border there? See that river there? We're going to give you a little free ride across it. You wait over there while we determine the legitimacy of your claim. It's called an immigration hearing. It'll be done in an immigration court as quickly as we can. And considering there are thousands of you, it probably won't be very, very quickly. And, in fact, there are millions of you. Over the course of the last two years? So it won't be very, very quickly. So while you wait for your hearing, you wait in Mexico. Let me know how things go down there for you. Because you know what will happen? This is how, this is why it worked under President Trump. When you have the wait, remain in Mexico policy in place, the people who want to come to the United States and go to Phoenix, and, and, and go to Dallas and want to go to, uh, you know, Oklahoma City or Tulsa. They want to come and, and find their way up into the United States and live the American lifestyle. They figure they're allowed to wait there, and then they'll never show up for their immigration hearings in the immigration courts. They disappear. What, what President Trump found was when you tell them they can't go to those cities, and in fact they have to turn around and wait in Mexico, they find that life in Mexico isn't all that pleasant. And you know what many of them do? Do. Rather than wait for six months, 12 months, 18 months, three years, maybe, for their immigration hearings, they get tired of waiting in Mexico. They don't like life in Mexico, and they go back to their home countries, which is exactly what they should do. 
you want to come to this country, go to your home country, fill out an application for a visa to come to the United States, fill out an application for a green card, a work visa, a study visa, whatever it is, do it legally, and we will, we will be much more receptive to your presence. The Remain in Mexico policy was the most important policy Trump ever enacted, in my view. And Biden, by completely ignoring it, even though a judge said you cannot just rescind it, even though a judge said you cannot rescind it, Biden's choice to ignore it, saying, oh, well, eventually the Supreme Court will tell me I can't do it, and then, uh, then I won't be able to do it. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep on going. He's done that with countless numbers of other laws as well. Uh, that is leading to the overrunning of this uh, country. All right, 216-901-0945, It's 9.52. I told you we had a long monologue. We got through it. Uh, we haven't even talked about the speaker yet. We haven't even talked about Kevin McCarthy yet. We're going to. And we're going to talk about Speaker Jason Stevens in Columbus as well. Different speaker, different story. Bigger nightmare for the GOP than even what happened in Washington, D.C. That story is coming up. Representative Ron Ferguson. Ohio State Rep will join me at eleven, or excuse me, at ten ten to talk about that. John Stover of Ohio Value Voters is going to be here to talk about that as well. I welcome you to talk about it too. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Always right radio right back. Okay, nine fifty eight. Always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Before we get to the speaker of the house in Ohio and that story, as we talk to Representative Ron Ferguson coming up, I want to just spend a minute here on the Kevin McCarthy um, finale. Uh, you know, the the finale to the week long, almost week long uh, presentation, the drama of choosing the speaker of the house in or in uh, Washington. Um, there are some saying that the holdouts, the twenty holdouts who eventually flipped and either voted president or went ahead and voted for McCarthy, wasted everybody's time. They did this to grandstand. They did, did this to show uh, to showboat, to virtue signal, and so forth, to stand up against the swamp and the rhinos and Kevin McCarthy and all the rest. And there was no purpose for it other than personal, personal gain. I thought there's a great piece here in Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge reported the facts that... The concessions that the outsiders or the holdouts, if you will, were able to gain are extraordinarily beneficial for the American people, even if it was embarrassing for Kevin McCarthy. Because of their work, it will now only take a single congressperson acting in what is known as the Jeffersonian motion to move uh, to move to remove the speaker if he or she goes back on their word or policy agenda. A church-style committee will be convened to look into the weaponization of the FBI and other government organizations that have been targeting the American people. Because of their work, term limits will now be on the table and will be put up for a vote. Because of their work, bills presented to Congress will be, the, will be single subject, not omnibus, with all the attendant earmarks. And there will be, no, or there will be a 72-hour minimum period to read those bills. No more putting a 1,700-page uh, monstrosity uh, on the table. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry, it was over 2,000 pages. It was $1.7 trillion with 24 hours to look at it before they vote. No, no, not even more. The Texas border plan will put, be put before Congress. COVID mandates will be ended, as will all funding for them, including so-called emergency funding. You understand this? They may not have stopped Kevin McCarthy, but they gained 
a lot of victories and wins for the American people. And so for that, I say thank you to those uh, holdouts that a lot of other people were decrying. It's uh, 10 o'clock. We'll get the news now. We'll come back and go down to Columbus and dive back into the speaker steal of 2023 when we talk with Representative Ron Ferguson right here on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll. Good Monday morning to you, nine minutes after 10 o'clock on this ninth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Appreciate you being with us on Always Right Radio. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to John Stover of Ohio Bay Voters. Um, they sent out a re- really, really strong message to... Uh, uh, to their membership on their uh, on their email list uh, about the Gang of Twenty Two, uh, the Gang of Twenty Two, of course, being the twenty two Republican legislators who are not conservative Republicans but essentially Democrats. It's funny I uh, I was talking about this, or actually I was tweeting a little bit about this with Gary Click, who is one of the forty five who actually upheld his oath as an Ohio Republican, the oath that they took on November 16th during the caucus vote to see who they would choose as speaker. They all agreed to support unanimously uh, the winner of that caucus vote. Anyway, Gary Click was talking about this, and we were going back and forth with a couple of other people who uh, disagreed. And um, I was referring to the 22, the gang of 22, as being Democrats, because why not? And somebody said, you're calling Bill Seitz not only a non-conservative but a Democrat? That's just straight-up comedy. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to talk to John Stover about this. I'm thinking to myself, what else would you call somebody who stabs the agreed-upon Republican speaker-elect in the back and removes him in favor of a moderate lobby favorite, lobbyist favorite, like Jason Stevens, with the help of 32 Democrats, thus empowering the super minority into giving them the power of the majority. 32 Democrats voted for Jason Stevens. Only 21 Republicans did, or 22 Republicans did, counting Stevens himself. You just gave power to the Democrats, so what else would I call you? And I don't care if it's Bill Seitz or if it's Al Catrona or if it's DJ Swearinger or any of the other gang of 22, that's what I'm going to call them. If you're going to act like a Democrat, you're going to wear the label of Democrat. Joining us now is somebody who does not wear that label. He is a member of the Ohio State Rep- Ohio House of Representatives. Rather, uh, uh, he is uh, Ron Ferguson, representing District Number Ninety Six, and he is calling out the Gang of Twenty Two this morning as well. Uh, Representative Ferguson, good to have you on the program here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Morning, Bob. I'm doing great. You know, one thing just occurred to me when you were setting that up is I was thinking. You know, they changed the rules of the game along the road. And if Derek Marin had known that selling out to Democrats was part of the formula you needed to win, he never would have ran for Speaker of the House. Because as Republicans, we don't sell out to Democrats. So your moniker of, of Democrats is perfect. 
Yeah, you know, and I take no pride in that, and I take no pleasure in that. I don't like to call. I mean, I, I have been a Republican for virtually, well, I won't say all of my adult life. I grew up in a family of Democrats, so I registered Democrat when I was 18, and it took me for a little while to open my eyes. But I've been a Democrat for a couple of, or excuse me, a Republican for a couple of d- decades. And I don't like to trash my party. I don't like to trash some of the leadership in the Republican Party at the federal level or at the state level or anywhere else. But, but damn it, when you, when our governor is going to act like a Democrat, I'm not going to call Mike DeWine a Republican. I'm not going to call him a, I'm not going to call him a conservative. And the same thing goes for the legislature. So, uh, it, it is what it is. You can choose how you are viewed by conservative Republicans in the state based on your actions. And these people have chosen. And I know nobody is more upset than you are. There may be some people more uh, as upset, but probably no no one uh, more than you. So let me get your reaction uh, to some of the statements by some of the individuals who were part of the quote-unquote gang of 22, including two who came on this program and told me there were no deals cut with Democrats. The Democrats just came over here because they just felt like they liked Jason Stevens better. We didn't make any deal with them whatsoever. Representative Ron Ferguson, how do you react to that? Well, the first thing I would say is you can either uh, believe the censured 22 that broke their word to their colleagues, or you could actually believe the truth. And that's what I'm here to uh, do today is to share the truth. I mean, that's just outright ridiculous. The I, I've actually spoken to Democrats since then, Democrats who have not lied to me, and uh, they have gone on and on about all the promises and deals that have been struck. So I just don't believe people that are censured. I don't believe people that look me in the eye and break their words. So uh, it's just not the truth. We'll talk more about the censure in a moment from the uh, State Central Committee, um, but let's talk a little bit more about these these deals. Now, you said we can believe those who were censured or believe the truth, and you've talked to Democrats. What have Democrats told you, or what have you learned from them about what they did get in exchange for supporting Jason Stevens? Yeah, one of the big things they said is a lot of their priorities. So they get to be very involved in the budget, which is uh, nearly and nearly always a thing that um, the Democrats ultimately vote for the budget because there's just so much crammed into it. Well, it's going to be much easier to cram a lot more into it. And so the budget's been one of their big promises. Uh, they certainly said a lot of the cultural war things would be off the table, so take that for what it's worth. And they said that there's going to be an ongoing standing working relationship. So it's not just this was the one deal, it's done, it's over with. But it's um, continuing to work side by side, hand in hand, to uh, deliver uh, better for their constituents, which I don't blame them for doing that. If I was a Democrat, I probably would have done the same thing. Uh, I only blame the 22 that turned their back on their party. We're talking with Ohio State Representative Ron Ferguson about the great speaker steal of 2023 with 20, uh, 22 Democrat, or excuse me, Republicans uh, joining. 32 Democrats to choose Jason Stevens over Derek Maron. Um, when when Al Catrona came on my program and when DJ Swearingen came on my program, and I've read a couple of other comments from others who have been doing interviews who are part of the Gang of 22, they say that a big part of the reason why they turned against Derek Maron was because Derek Maron wasn't doing enough to unify them. He wasn't reaching out to them in the uh, time uh, after... Uh, the November 16th vote, uh, the caucus vote, that they expected him to reach out to them and talk to them about committee assignments and talk to them about forming 
you know, uh, again, just basically unifying uh, the party behind the new speaker-elect. And once that he, once he was absent, if you will, uh, in that effort, that's when they said, we need somebody we can communicate with better. Now, that sounds all kind of junior high to me. Somebody's not calling me enough, so he's not my friend anymore. Um, so I don't know if I buy that, but I know you don't buy that because you heard from some individuals just two days after the vote. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, number one, I uh, stood up and nominated Derek and Caucus alongside another representative, Daryl Kick, and I called people immediately after the speaker vote. Within 48 hours, I talked to DJ Swearingen. I talked to Al Catrona. I talked to Brett Hillier. I talked to these people directly to make sure that they know that, that the goal of Derek Marin's speakership was to put the best people in the best positions to win because that's what we, de- we deserve to do uh, for the state of Ohio is to make sure that the best people are in the best positions. Those people are going to be in great positions. They never wanted that. All they wanted was the person that they wanted for speaker, and the, the deal with Democrats was already underway. Now, let's say that again. Within three days of the caucus vote, they mm-hmm. told you that the, the move to, to make deals to not have Derek Marin, which, which you all voted, right? You all voted before the actual votes in the caucus. You all voted mm-hmm. and agreed to unanimously support the winner, whoever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. So Correct. Within... I'm the... Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think you might have misheard me. No, so they didn't tell me that they were doing that. I called them to... Uh, to let them know that uh, this Derek Marin speakership was going to be a great thing. I mean, they were my friends at that time. And so I was encouraging them to really be on board. I was asking them, what can I do to help you out? Because we we had standing friendships. No, they did not tell me that there was a deal underway. What I'm saying is when I called them, uh, they knew that the Derek Marin speakership would be a good shake for everybody. But they must have in their minds not really been looking forward to that. Okay, you're right. Then I did must misunderstand you on that. So at what point Correct. then, uh, Representative Ferguson, and thank you for the clarification, at what point then did you learn that they were working to not support uh, uh, Derek Marin, the Speaker-elect, despite your efforts in talking to them about the positive things that were going to come from it? At what point did you learn of that? Well, I started learning uh, shortly after Thanksgiving. I know that a couple uh, of them were at uh, the athletic club in Columbus, and they had made passing comments to people that the speaker's fight's not over yet. Stay tuned. And <clears throat> I didn't quite know that it was working with Democrats yet until probably more like getting into the month of December. And of course, the Democrats talk uh, talk a lot too, and they share what's going on. They started to get excited that they would have an option, and um, that option was, of course, to go against our caucus vote and support Jason Stevens instead of Derek Merritt. So, Representative Ferguson, um, I, I want to talk about Allison Russo for a moment here. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows that it was very unusual, I guess, for a Democrat, uh, the minority leader, Allison Russo, to hold the Bible for Jason Stevens to swear his oath uh, when he was sworn in as speaker. But I want to talk about what happened before that. She is speaking very candidly about some of the quote-unquote concessions, otherwise known as deals, uh, that were made um, that she thinks are in the best interest of her party, uh, their platform, and, of course, the way they view it for the, for the people of Ohio. 
Um, she's out there contradicting the gang of 22 that says no deals were made. You talked about this a little bit. Can you speak more specifically to whether or not Derek Marin also had conversations with Allison Russo about potential deals and why it is that you think she and they decided to walk away from anything that might happen with Derek Marin? When Derek Marin was the speaker-elect, he did talk to Allison Russo, as any speaker-elect does, because you're preparing for the next General Assembly. You do represent all 99 people in the House. And so he did ask her, what is it that you're concerned about here in the next General Assembly, to hear her out? But ultimately, Derek Marin was never going to make a deal, because as I said at the beginning of the program, if making deals with Democrats was the pathway to the speakership, he never would have run in the first place. Uh, so they're trying to make it sound like uh, courteous conversations were some kind of deal with Democrats, and it's just not accurate. That's what the 22 did. I should clarify, by the way, uh, I made it sound like the Democrats walked away from Marin, and really Derek Marin said, no, I'm not agreeing to any of these things that you're asking. I can't do that. If you want to support me, great, but if not, then then that's fine, because he probably didn't feel as though he needed Democrats when he knew that the caucus that he was a part of had agreed to uni- uni- uh, uh, unanimously support him, right? Correct, and that's the strength in winning a caucus vote and people upholding their word, is that you don't have to go to the Democrats and make a deal, that the majority party can actually make the decision on who the next speaker is going to be. So he never had incentive to make a deal with the Democrats. But we've certainly got this new um, situation where probably going forward, the, the game's going to be who can make the best deal with the Democrats to become Speaker of the House. Um. Alison Russo, in one of the uh, interviews she did with Cleveland.com, said that the Democrats made a simple choice. Quote, we decided to do this because at this moment in time, in this House chamber, we are the most consolidated block of votes, and we had the opportunity to exercise our power here. End quote. Maybe it's just me, but when you have only 32 votes, or 33 actually, uh, in a 100-member in a uh, body or a legislature, you don't have power unless it's given to you by the supermajority. Isn't that what was done here? That was exactly what was done, and they I will, I will say that they are the second most consolidated block. There's the block of 45 that voted for Marin. There's the block of 32 Democrats, and then there's the block of 22 that broke their word. And so those are your three blocks, and um, R45 is the strongest block, and the 32 Democrats are certainly the second strongest block. So here's here's the real big issue now, uh, Representative Ron Ferguson. I really appreciate you joining us. Representative Ferguson is District 96. The block of 45 and the gang of 22, I don't even want to call them a block, uh, the gang of 22, will you be able to work with them? Will you be able to, if there is common-sense conservative legislation and things that can be done to help the people of Ohio, to help the parents of Ohio, to help so many of the, you know, the pro-life cause in Ohio, the, the conservative things that put you guys in office. Um, will you be able to work with them, or will you not be able to trust them again? Well, see, I think that's the bigger thing, is you just can't trust them. It's pretty difficult to work with people that you can't trust. I've said all along that uh, we did not separate from them. They separated from us, as evidenced by them walking away from what we committed to do. So I, we're going to continue trying to push the, the agenda that we promised our voters we would push. And I think the bigger question is, are they going to work with us? Because we're the larger blo- block and we're the ones that keep our word. Well, 
they're going to they're going to be in a tough spot, right? Even if they decide at the time they do want to work with you, they're going to have an oath to honor though the oath, the deal that they made with the Democrats. So when it comes time to draw new districts and the Democrats are expecting this gang of 22 to help them draw more Democrat favorable districts, when it comes to the backpack bill that Jason Stevens opposes and the Democrats oppose, when it comes to, you know, uh pro-life issues, I mean all of these things here, they've made deals. Uh, with the Democrats, going back to, again, some of the things Alan Russo has confirmed, they made deals here, and so they're going to be, I, I suppose you're right, when they say to you, hey, we're going to be with you and vote this way on a given piece of legislation. You can't trust that when they literally have actual on the record uh, by the Democrat uh, minority leader on the record promises to support the Democrat uh, side of those particular pieces of legislation. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> I, we're, we're in a new day, Bob. It's definitely a new day in Columbus. I read um, a post that I want to share with you. Um, You probably have already seen it, uh, and I want to get your reaction to it. There was a GOP luncheon in Hancock County, and the keynote speakers there were Representative John Cross and current Speaker Bob Cup, or now past Speaker Bob Cup. A resident at that meeting or luncheon, asked Representative Cross to defend using Democrats to elect a speaker. Cross told the resident that Republicans like her are the reason we're divided. He then explained, and I'm reading the post word for word, he then explained the speaker is the speaker of the whole House. Why is Cross willing to unite with Democrats while accusing conservatives of the ones of division? We have political parties then, or why have political parties then? Cross just admitted to supporting the uniparty. Representative Ferguson, how do you react when you see things like that? John Cross has proven time and time again, this isn't speculation, you just look at it, he was involved in a fight with Bill Seitz last General Assembly at Lindy's in Columbus, a fight out in public. He used an expletive in a recent article uh, talking about the state central committee, here he is telling a woman that is on the right side of the issue that she's divisive. He's been nothing but divisive. I've seen him stand up in caucus at six foot four and back down women in our caucus, like like walking towards them as as if there's going to be an altercation. I mean, the way that he has conducted himself is just, you know, it's 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 really upsetting. So in closing, Representative Ron Ferguson, I appreciate you coming on to, to give us your views of all of this. Um, what, what, are, what is the path forward for conservatives in Ohio? I'm feeling almost like a refugee, a political refugee. Um, I've been a Republican, as I said, for, for a couple of decades. I uh, am, am a strong supporter. I go on the air every day supporting conservative Republican causes. I certainly can't, I certainly can't support what the Democrats sell because I believe almost all of it is evil. Where can a guy like me, where can millions of, of disaffected Ohioans who were entrusting of the Republican Party to, to advance the agenda of, you know, the Constitution and conservative family values and so forth, where do we go? What can we expect going forward? You can expect that the 45 uh, continue to work hard for you. There is obviously a lot of variance on policy within the 45, but at least the 45 are straight up honest with you and you can believe what they say as proven by the vote that they cast and so i think really reaching out to those 45 supporting them and making sure that they are working to get more people like-minded people that have honesty and integrity into the ohio house because if you have integrity and you root out 
uh, corruption, that's when good policy is going to fo- uh, follow. You know, when you say getting more uh, people of integrity into the Ohio House, that would, of course, mean getting rid of the Gang of 22 um, when their terms are up and they're up for re-election, which brings us back to that censure issue by the state uh, central committee. Um, a lot of people were glad to see it, but were concerned, myself included, that there was no teeth. There was nothing in that censure that said they cannot get party endorsements when they come up for re-election, and they cannot get party cash. They can't get uh, campaign funds. Um, if the censure is in name only, does it really do any good? Yes. Yeah, so next year, in 2024, when it's election year, the state central committee will get to make a decision on who they're going to endorse for election. You must be endorsed in order to get the resources of the party, to be able to get money, uh, cheaper bulk mail rate, uh, ability for the canvassing app and other things. So uh, that decision will come next year. I definitely think those that are not censured are going to have an easier pathway to endorsement than those that are. So uh, just make sure that over the next year we will remember and we encourage our state central committee members next year to hold them account. Well, it's going to take people like you to do that uh, as well as state central committee members. People like you need to continue to be vocal about this. I really appreciate you coming on this program to do so. I hope you'll go on all across the state and make sure that everybody understands the seriousness of this and that the 45 are who we're going to have to rely on over the course of the next two years and hope and just hope that we get a few of that gang of 22 to come to common sense, uh, uh, you know, reasonable decisions when legislative matters that we care about do come before them. Even though you can't trust them, we're going to need them at some point or another. So, Representative Ron Ferguson, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate all of your input, and uh, please keep up the good work. I'll be praying for them to come around. Thanks, Bob. I will as well. Thank you, sir. All right, 1029, we took it all the way to news. Uh, We'll take a time out here for news. We're going to come back a little bit later, but we're going to come back. And uh, John Stover is going to join us. Ohio Value Voters, very, very strong statement put out by OVV against that gang of 22. That's next. In the age of unreason, always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Before I bring uh, John Stover on the line from Ohio Value Voters to talk a little bit more about the death of the actual Republican Party in the state of Ohio. And I have sadly been saying for, I don't know, far too many of the, this is the start of our ninth year on AM 1420, the answer, for far too many of the last eight years, I have been saying that the Ohio Republican Party is probably the worst state party in America. And I say probably because I don't go and check out the inner workings of all of the others. But I have also said that the state of Ohio is the worst red state in America for being red, meaning it is it is essentially useless to for us to be a red state when the reds are actually blue. When the Republicans actually govern like Democrats, it doesn't matter that we have a supermajority Republican House, a supermajority Republican Senate, uh, a Republican uh, governor's mansion for, for, for two straight terms now, uh, Republican uh, lieutenant governor, and on down the line. It doesn't make any difference if they're all going to govern or if the, enough of them are going to govern like Democrats. And I've just become disgusted by that. Well, now it has taken on it's taken it to another level when 22 of the 67 House Republican supermajority decide to become Democrats 
by partnering with 32 Democrats to form a majority over the supermajority of the Republicans to advance their agenda, the left's agenda. They had no power whatsoever in this state. The Democrats couldn't stop a thing, not on medical freedom, not on pro-life issues, not on uh, on uh, backpack bills, not on women's sports, not on education, not on parents' rights. They couldn't do a thing. We have all the power. And now they have the power. The 33, even though 32 of them voted, but the 33-member Democrat super minority, along with the 22, gives them 55. 55 to 45, now they hold a majority over conservatives, the 45 members that backed Derek Maron. It's astounding. I want to share this before I bring John Stover on, though, because um, Jack Windsor and I work together. Not only is he the State House correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer, uh, he, of course, is my partner on our podcast. We'll have a new version tonight, a new episode tonight at 7 p.m., wherever uh, wherever you can watch it. YouTube kicked us off for obvious reasons, because YouTube is Google. But uh, Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack can be seen on Facebook Live, Twitch, as well as, I think, Rumble. Are we doing Rumble? I think we're doing Rumble. But anyway, Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. Jack shared this with me because I uh, shared with him what I just talked about with um, Representative Ferguson. That is John Cross, one of the gang of 22, telling a a Hancock County resident who complained of them teaming with Democrats that she's the reason why the party is divided and that the Speaker is supposed to be the Speaker of the whole House, meaning the Speaker has to work with the Democrats, too. So, essentially deriding a conservative uh, who questioned him for partnering with Democrats. So, Jack sent me the following text exchange that he had with Representative John Cross on Friday. How do you unite a caucus when 43 members oppose the Republican Speaker? That's Jack asking John Cross that question. It went ignored. Jack then followed up. The Ohio Republican Party censured you and 21 others who voted for Representative Jason Stevens for Speaker. What's your reaction to that? John Cross's reply to Jack Windsor was not words. It was a picture of him with his arms stretched over his head, yawning. Jack's reply was, so your official response is yawn? And he got no reply to that. I confirmed with Jack that there has been no more interaction since. So John Cross, one of the gang of 22, responds to the censuring of himself and the other 21 by yawning. He doesn't care. Now let's see what John Stover has to say about that. President of Ohio Value Voters. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Very good, Bob. Thank you for having me this morning. I know you've been in touch with other members of the media who are concerned about this, too, like like Jack Windsor. Don't know if you saw that. Uh, any response to John Cross responding to being censured by the uh, State Central Committee on Friday with a yawn? You know, it doesn't surprise me at all, Bob. You know, in the state of Ohio, we have uh, far, far, far too many Elected officials, specifically in the House here, uh, masquerading as Republicans, and they're actually Democrats. Yeah, um, we're finding that out. You know, it's, I, I've been saying that, excuse me, 
I've been saying that for a while now, complaining about how you know the you know what what purpose is there of having midterm elections if you know and this goes at the state or the federal level too. What good is having midterm elections, choosing and selecting leadership and majorities when they're all going to act the same as a uniparty, if you will? When Republicans are going to act like Democrats, and I've been saying that for some time now, but now it's again. I think this is maybe the most egregious example of it uh, when twenty two Republicans stab their own speaker elect in the back and go and and court the votes of the Democrats in exchange for some of the most important things on the Republican conservative platform, um, there, there's no longer, I, I mean, I really don't think there's any longer a division between the parties. It is a uniparty, isn't it? Well, you know, you know, Bob, the one thing that I would share with you, and I can't share the individual's name, it was a private conversation with uh, one of the uh, House members supporting Derek Marin. But, you know, whenever this broke, um, for Ohio Value Voters, we had um, uh, someone within the uh, uh, House, uh, once again a Republican, supporting uh, Derek Marin, contact Ohio Value Voters December 6th. And that's when we first learned that this was going on. So I contacted uh, two other Derek Marin supporters. They had no knowledge of this. They said, you got to be kidding me. That there was an agreement reached uh, November 16th that uh, after the vote, that would be the next speaker of the Ohio House. And uh, one of them said to me, Bob, which is rather interesting, he said, uh, he said, well, he says, you know what, when you're dealing with a liar, uh, you know, maybe uh, some of these people will end up changing their vote. And that's a quote uh, when it comes to uh, some, of these, some of these pieces of important legislation that we're looking at. Uh, and when you think about it, about this, Bob, the, um, the uh, 22, or I would say this, they, they indicated that, yes, when they met, met on November 16th, our support will be for whoever is going to be elected among our 67 Republicans caucus that we have, supermajority, will be the next speaker. So the 22 lied in that area. Now you have the 22 or the leadership being uh, Jason Stevens as the speaker going to the Democrats, cutting gills. And once again, time will tell. I agree with Representative Young that uh, we will find out in the future just what type of deals were cut. But is it possible that, you know, that the Democrats have been lied to? We'll, we'll find out. You know, there are some things, Bob, that the... When you, uh, if I may, John, I want to clarify what you're saying right now. Is it possible that the 22 lied to the Democrats and are actually going to go back and govern as conservatives and not give the Democrats the quote-unquote deal that they wanted? It's very possible, Bob, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because there are other local parties, even one in Cuyahoga County, which I spoke to the head of that uh, party recently, and others throughout the state uh, and county parties, Republican parties, that are going to censure those individuals as well. And I have a real strong suspicion that these 22 are finally going to wake up and smell the roses, and they're going to say, you know what, I better, I better at least come across as being a conservative Republican on some of these uh, pieces of legislation that are going to be coming up over the next two years and vote the appropriate way, because if not, I'm going to be primaried, and they certainly are not going to receive the endorsement of the Republican Party. That's not going to happen. You know, and there's, there's a couple of different ways that the uh, 45 that uh, supported uh, Derek Marin, which, by the way, you have a caucus within a caucus. You have 45 members of the 67. That's the mm-hmm. majority. And uh, it's very easily, Bob, a part of the House rules. It's called a discharge petition. In other words, a, a good piece of legislation is introduced and let's say you have the 22 opposed to it, and then you have the Democrats on their side opposed to it, a representative, they have the ability 
to request a discharge petition from committee because Jason Stevens has said this legislation is not moving forward. That moves it automatically to the House floor, and legislators have to go up and sign their name to it. So it's a type of de facto vote. And I've Mm -hmm. urged leaders within the House, this is the direction they need to proceed. Because, you know, you, you can't have legislation just dying in committee because of the fact that there was a deal cut with the Democrats and because they're not interested in seeing a good piece of legislation regarding comprehensive sex education or CRT in our schools, the backpack bill, et cetera, or an abortion bill. You know, a, uh, you, know you mentioned earlier, Bob, where does someone go? <laughs> you know, I, I, I firmly uh, feel the same way. But, you know, it's uh, very similar to uh, what happened with uh, Ronald Reagan in 1980 when he was running for president, if you recall. He uh, had a reporter shout out to him. He said, uh, Governor, you used to be a Democrat. His infamous line was, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left me. And I'm hoping that what we'll see here in the state of Ohio is that we have enough of the conservatives to stand their ground and say, look, we are going to stand up for the people in the state of Ohio that put us here with the supermajority. John Stover is the president of Ohio Value Voters. That line by Reagan, of course, is legendary. And unfortunately, we can't repeat it here because there's nowhere else to go. He went from Democrat to Republican. I know I will not, and I know most uh, conservative, constitutional-minded Ohioans are not going to say, hey, the Ohio Republican Party left me, so I'm going to become a Democrat, because we're not going to join up with evil. And their platform and their ideology, in my estimation, amounts to evil. Um, that's right. and, and not just on pro-life, but on many other things as well. So that's the real problem here is we've got nowhere to go that's better. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the 22, whether or not they be, can, can be trusted. I, I brought that up with Ron Ferguson. And I was having a conversation with a, with a conservative leader this morning who sa- said, Bob, good morning, I've got a serious question. If one of the 45 were to joint sponsor with one of the 22, an incredibly good piece of legislation for the people of Ohio, would you still be guns blazing against that person and encourage conservative legislators to boycott the bill because of who it is? Or would you give that person the benefit of the doubt and rally conservatives to fight like hell to see it get passed? I believe it would be the latter, but I really need to hear it from you. My response was, depends on the bill, but my default position would be to never trust one of those 22. Am I being unfair? Well, no, not at all. I I, I firmly believe that uh, each and every bill is going to be judged upon itself over the next two years. We've had, and I know we don't have time to go over all the bills uh, at this point in time, but, uh, Bob, I I will say this. I have communicated with leadership uh, among... uh, um, Derek Marin and his people, I said, look, introduce these bills, our organization, and many others. I've spoken to a number of other uh, leaders, friends of yours and mine, uh, Tom Zajkowski of We the People, uh, Molly Smith of um, Cleveland Right to Life, and a number of them. And uh, they are right there with us on this. Uh, we'll, we'll take the uh, five to six votes that we need to get something passed. And if it doesn't get passed out of committee onto the House floor and makes its way to the Senate, then this is where that legislator that's introduced it, they have the right to issue and request that discharge petition. It's a type of de facto vote that then puts that out there for all 98 others to consider putting their name to. And then we'll see where they're at. And, and this is going to be used. I can assure you, Bob, this is going to be used against anyone, including specifically now the 22 
gang that uh, voted against uh, a speaker that had, they had agreed to in caucus they would support, it'll be used against them in the next uh, election in uh, 2024. John, uh, what is your view of the censure that was voted on uh, by the State State Central Committee on Friday while they were choosing um, uh, Alex uh, Triantafalu to be the new uh, uh, GOP chair? You know, I don't know Alex that well. I do know Brian Williams to some extent. Um, I think Brian would have been the better choice. But the censure was, I, I think you mentioned it, Bob, it was definitely watered down. But it's still a censure. And... Um, you know, really where the endorsements come from for state rep is uh, primarily in those counties that they're running in. You know, you have some of the rural counties that could uh, in- encompass three, four different counties, maybe five, six. Cuyahoga County is only going to be one. But, uh, you know, once again, in 2024, it's going to be incumbent upon people like yourself, our organization, et cetera, to make sure that you know, uh, the, the old cliche about, uh, you know, the elephant having such a great memory, uh, an elephant's the symbol of the Republican Party. We just have to make sure that people don't forget what happened here. Last question for you, John, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, I agree, by the way. Um, not enough play, I don't think, has been given to Derek Maron's family situation given the uh, during the, the period that the Dem- or the uh, gang of 22 complained that he wasn't doing enough to reach out unify coordinate with phone call members of the uh, republican caucus um derek Marin was was in hospice care with his father or was visiting and, and caring for his father who of course passed away last week and was buried i think on saturday yeah. um derek Marin has accused jason stevens and his supporters of taking advantage of that family crisis time to to undermine him uh, and to make it look like he was not interested in working with some of the others who did not vote for him in the caucus vote that he won. Um, they used his absence essentially against him there. Um, I don't know if I could generate any more disgust for the gang of 22, but if I can, this would do it. Uh, if it's true, if if they knew he wasn't going to be around and they could maneuver without his being present because he was dealing with family, you know, family tragedy like this, um, does that? <laughs> what? How do you respond to the to that statement by by uh, Representative Marin? Well, I, I believe uh, his statement is correct, Bob. Uh, I would I would say this though. I I firmly believe that there was uh, a group, and uh, you know, only would uh, only one would know. When I suggested this to. Uh, you know, your friend and mine, uh, Jack Windsor, um, uh, the uh, chief editor for Ohio Press Network, that, you know, uh, there are FOIA requests uh, that could be potentially made to, uh, you know, uncover when all of these discussions has, has taken place potentially. But I believe that within a week after that November 16th vote by the Republicans, which, in fact, after two votes, Derek Marin was elected speaker, that this all started, the discussion started. I believe 100% that they ramped it up, knowing that um, Derek Marin was not able potentially to address some of these issues because he needed to spend time with his father. You know, um, anyone that's lost a loved one, and I've lost both my mother and father over the past four years, and uh, it's difficult, and you have to be there. And even while he was there, he did make the statement, I read to Derek Marin, that he had made 40 to 50 calls even while he was attending to his father. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I, I believe that happened. I believe they did ramp things up. Yeah, and and that just underscores, in my estimation, 
who they are. It speaks to their character, even even as much as, if not more than, their vote to backstab Marin and their willingness to uh, coordinate and collude with Democrats to advance a Democrat agenda in this in this uh, in this uh, legislature. I think that speaks as much to who they are as anything. John Stover, yeah. Ohio Value Voters. John, keep up the great work. Thank you for uh, the statement you put out today. I'm glad I'm on your mailing list. I encourage other people to get on the Ohio Value Voters email list so that you can get these kind of statements like I did this morning. Uh, and, John, thanks very much for the time. Bob, thank you for everything you do as well. God bless. God bless you, too. 1055, we'll take a time out here. Uh, by the way, we're not done. we got another hour, and coming up at the top of the next hour... We're going to go to D.C., and we're going to talk about the other speaker's race, the one that resulted in Kevin McCarthy finally, after 16 votes, being the next speaker of the House, the speaker of the 118th Congress. We're going to talk coming up with uh, uh, Congressman Warren Davidson on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, we're number three underway now, eight minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday, the ninth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. There's a new speaker in the house. I want to give all Americans a personal invitation. You are welcome to see this body at work. No longer will the doors be closed, but the debates will be open for you to witness what happens in the people's house. I do like that message of transparency. I also like this message. I know the night is late, but when we come back, our very first bill will repeal the funding for 87,000 new items. You see, we believe government should be to help you, not go after you. Despite the division, despite the drama of the week-long speaker vote for Kevin McCarthy, I think every Republican stood and applauded that remark as to the first uh, first bill that they plan to pass or plan to bring up uh, in the new Congress. I'm certain one of those was our next guest. Warren Davidson is, of course, a congressman from Ohio 8. That's down Cincinnati, Dayton Way. But we welcome him once again to Northeast Ohio here on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman Davidson, good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, it's an honor to join you and uh, share time with your listeners. Thanks for, thanks for having me on today. Did you rise when you heard that first remark there from the new speaker? Yeah, we're very excited about that. 
<clears throat> but I think, you know, people know in this divided government, the Senate's not going to take our bill up. But we're going to stack a pretty good pile of wood up over there uh, for them, uh, you know, to say, yeah, really, you guys want to go into an election cycle and defend that? And some of them are going to make it into must-pass legislation, things that, you know, the Senate has to sign, uh, has to pass, and the president has to sign. Well, you're right, and that's that's very important. We're going to talk about what some of the legislative agenda might be and what's possible to get done, or as you say, what will be stacked up on the pile uh, for the Senate to ignore and see if they're willing to do so at their own peril. But let's talk about what happened over the course of this week. Um, you know, the, the 200 or so McCarthy supporters uh, really, really gave it to the 20 or so holdouts or outsiders, whatever it is that you want to call them. And eventually, of course, we knew it. You know, it was inevitable because no, there was no way for anybody else to have that path forward. Somebody was going to have to break, and it was uh, the outsiders. But they did so with a lot of concessions. Uh, speaker McCarthy, I think Matt Gates said he's going to be a speaker in a straitjacket because he's not going to be able to do anything out of line without us calling him out on it. And even, you know, a single vote to vacate uh, would be enough to to bring up a vote to replace the speaker. So when you look back at it now, after the week-long drama and all of the sniping and a lot of the bitter uh, division within the party, how do you feel about the outcome? Not just the outcome of Kevin McCarthy, which was probably predestined, but the concessions and the terms under which he won that speakership? Well, look, no one's earned the job until they've earned the votes. And, uh, you know, Kevin had to do a lot of work. We we wish we would have gotten the work done by January 3rd. Uh, I think the upside is, you know, the American people, really the world, got a little glimpse into how this process happens. Um, and, of course, there were lots of meetings that took place uh, during that time that weren't open, but you could see people even working one another on the floor and that's the way tough votes are. Uh, the reality is, you know, that's always been the case. Whoever wanted to be speaker in a narrow majority, uh, you can't lose too many people off to the right. You can't lose too many off to the left. And, and by the time you go across our conference from the most moderate district that, say, Joe Biden won by 10 points to the most conservative where, you know, uh, Donald Trump won by 20 or 30 points, uh, you know, there, there's a wide range, and how do you make everybody there work together for the same goals? Uh, I hope we've worked all that out, and now we can move at a much faster clip. Is there any lingering animosity for the 20 holdouts? Um, and, and you know, a lot of people talk about the embarrassment of the Republican. You know, the Democrats made fun and posted memes of eating popcorn and having a good time watching the Republicans fight amongst themselves. And some people said it's bad for Republican, the Republican brand. Um, as such, do you hold any animosity for, for, you know, those who held out or are you, you know, let's get to work. We're, we're all, we're all on the same side at the end of the day. Well, look, most, most of those folks are close friends of mine. Uh, you know, some of them are, you know, freshmen, a couple of them, you know, probably did things that were antagonistic and, and not helpful. Uh, and, and, uh, frankly, that's across the conference. I mean, you know, we had, you know, people not being helpful. I mean, one guy needed to be restrained the night before yeah. the night of the last vote. And uh, he was like that right before the very first vote for speaker. And probably because of his actions, uh, flipped five or six people who were reluctantly on board with Kevin to saying, no, nah, I don't think I can do it. And uh, and that cost Kevin probably five or six votes. I, I think he's definitely, definitely um, going to be cleared off of the steering committee, which is a body that shapes things mm-hmm. and uh, people have even talked about uh, his chairmanship being in peril so 
uh, he, he was literally one of the chairman of uh, our, our committees. So uh, you, you have to be able to work together in this business. And I think, you know, some people, you know, they looked at it like a primary. You know, McCarthy filed. He ran to be the speaker, and he got to the point where he had 91% of the vote. How does 9% dictate to the rest of us who's going to be the leader for our party? Um, but the reality is, in a lot of ways, it's more like the Senate, uh, where someone's going for a confirmation, and then each person has a vote. No one I know uh, could even win, and they certainly don't campaign on. When I get to D.C., I'm going to follow orders so we can get things done. Uh, now that they go there and fight for their constituents, that's certainly what people want us to do, is go work hard to get things done on behalf of the people we represent. And so there has to be some level of mutual respect there, and I hope this process helps cement that. And the reality is, you know, there were six people who still haven't supported Kevin. Uh, they just agreed to go to present, uh, which changed the number that, that uh, needed to happen for, for him to win uh, the votes to, to earn the, the gavel. So Speaking, we'll see. We got the rules vote here coming up yes, today. And we're going to talk about that, too. Speaking of respectful, though, um, we're talking to a Congressman Warren Davidson, Ohio 8, uh, this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. A lot of people felt it was disrespectful and very presumptuous for Kevin McCarthy to move his things into the Speaker's office before this was ever done, before the vote was ever held. And if you were borderline, you know, maybe I'm going to vote for him reluctantly or maybe I'm going to oppose him and nominate Jim Jordan or somebody or vote for Jim Jordan. A lot of people didn't think that was was respectful of the right that every single member has, which is to cast a vote, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, to their own conscience. And, uh, and that Kevin McCarthy's, you know, essential presumption that he's going to win this was was kind of a slap in their face did it bother you uh it didn't bother me but i could see why it would bother a lot of people and frankly uh matt gates is a master at finding things like this to reinforce his message so whether he's normally in a position where i'm working in the same direction as matt gates uh he's a great guy to be working uh in the same direction as you and a, a tough guy to be on the other side of a negotiation with and that was one of the points that I think he made. It resonates broadly with people. When you look at how the House of Representatives is structured, um, there's not like extra office space. So when you're swapping offices, it's like, well, where are you going to put his stuff in storage for the time being um, until, you know, there's office moves. So you have to move from this to that one. And frankly, the the space is kind of antiquated in, a, in it in the first place. Um, in terms of how we would really want a modern office building to be, probably not that way. Um, but it was presumptive. He hasn't earned the job of speaker. Uh, and nevertheless, he was the nominee from the Republican Party. And so that's been a longstanding issue. And frankly, this is the first time in 100 years we had this kind of a debate. Right. And the first time since 1855, the longest uh, fight since 1855. So it is pretty rare that this would become an issue. Uh, but it's a valid point. I mean, it's like, uh, this, you don't have the Speaker's office. You haven't earned the job. No, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think you and many others have said, you know, the phrase that democracy is messy and the founders wanted it that way. It's not supposed to be easy rubber stamp everything and everybody agrees and we're singular of thought and so forth. You know, groupthink is not necessarily good for the republic, I think. And different ideas and people expressing themselves different ways, I think, is important. Uh, and, and, and here's the last question I have for you, for Congressman Davidson, on the, on the drama. And then I want to ask you about the rules package. I want to talk about uh, legislation, legislation versus uh, investigation. But, the last question is uh, well, here. Let me let me play this for you. But th- things get heated and things get said. Uh, the, uh, 
obviously, to the people who took offense by that, it's pretty obvious that it's meant as a turn of phrase in the in it's the a metaphor. It's, not- it's in the context of intransient negotiations. I look, I, I've got pretty thick skin. I'm called awful, vile things by the, kind of the very same wing of the party that 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 I'm fighting. I was fighting at that moment. So. That was Dan, Dan Crenshaw on CNN trying to pull back or walk back his comment about the holdouts being traitors. Or, um, excuse me, not traitors, terrorists. He said, uh, you can't let the terrorists win. That hit a lot of people very, very hard. And really, again, talking about damaging the unity of the Republican brand. Uh, do you accept that uh, apology? Do you think one was needed? I think it would be great for him to do uh, something like that in person. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people say, hey, uh, on the one hand, I appreciate it. On the other hand, it was kind of weak sauce for apologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, for me, I understand the perspective it came from when I gave the floor speech. That was just such a comment that I was referring to is, you know, something in our nature as people, uh, you start to dehumanize others as a way to prepare for conflict that makes conflict or combat uh, easier. I mean, as an Army guy, we're trained that way. I assume he was as a SEAL. Uh, he literally referred to our colleagues as enemies or terrorists. And, um, you know, people people tend to escalate the rhetoric, and those wounds uh, damage, damage just as they would in any interpersonal relationship. It's hard to go back to work and go, oh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for that person after that. And, you know, hopefully those, those uh, you know, harsh words can be uh, taken in context and everyone can kind of find a way to work together. But there are a lot of those things that became public and many that didn't become public that certainly escalated the tensions. And, you know, I've just found over the years, whether it was military business or just friendships, uh, it's hard to insult your way into having someone agree with you. So uh, I think we've made progress uh, in terms of working together, and uh, hopefully that can hold. Yeah, I hope so, too. I was very disappointed by that remark from Dan Crenshaw, for whom I had a, a pretty good amount of respect prior to that. So I hope uh, I hope uh, that, that he will do what you said and talk about uh, maybe making that apology in person to the individuals that he insulted in such a way. We're talking to Congressman Warren Davidson. So legislatively, I think you were right. There's gridlock on the horizon. Uh, any good stuff that you guys want to pass on the House side is probably going to be met with a roadblock on the Senate side. So let's talk about investigation, which is what many of us said, especially with such a small a majority, you know, a 10-seat majority, it's going to be more important for the investigation rather than the legislation. Judiciary oversight, their committees are going to start using the subpoena power, and they're going to start to try to get to the bottom of everything from whether or not President Joe Biden and his family benefited from uh, some of the overseas dealings from Hunter Biden uh, through the evidence gathered from his laptop or the family laptop, as it's uh, come to be known. We're talking about holding the uh, FBI accountable and the Department of Justice accountable for being weaponized against the American people, against parents. Uh, There are so many things that need to be investigated, um, including the January 6th committee, which was one of the biggest partisan shows. I don't care if there were two never-Trump Republicans included on that panel. Uh, It was was a, a very partisan show in an attempt to discredit and take down a potential future presidential candidate. So, do you think, and, and I'll ask this question, Congressman uh, Davidson, from the vantage point of a listener who I talked to uh, uh, on Friday who said, Bob, there's not going to be anything that can be done here. Uh, in fact, uh, it was a guest who said Jim Jordan is going to be able to roll up his sleeves and say we're going to work to hold people accountable through investigation uh, and oversight, but at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to get anything done. How do you feel about the potential 
of 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 holding people accountable for some of the misdeeds that we have seen over the course of not just the last two years of the Biden administration, but quite frankly, going back in my my opinion seven years to when they first lied in order to uh, get a phony or to get a FISA warrant to investigate the Trump campaign. How do you feel about oversight of all of those things? Yeah, I mean, the oversight and accountability are long overdue. Uh, people know that there's not an even-handed uh, Justice Department at work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like my colleague Thomas Massey down in northern Kentucky uh, said about the Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. He said Elon Musk bought a crime scene. And when you look at how the FBI collaborated with certainly not just Twitter, uh, Mark Zuckerberg said they were following uh, direction from the FBI as well. So you got to imagine all these big tech companies. We've got um, depositions already from an FBI agent that was meeting these uh, tech companies. This is big government working with big tech uh, to trample on the rights of uh, American citizens and, frankly, probably crossing lines that uh, we reserve with the Patriot Act for actual enemies of our country, uh, actual terrorists, uh, and and that was one of the concerns people had about passing the Patriot Act is that it would lead to this kind of abuse, the weapon, weaponization of government against the domestic population. And it looks like that's exactly what has happened. And the real question is, what in the hell are we going to do about it? And so we, we are going to make it more public. Um, Elon Musk has really accelerated this dramatically by saying, hey, this isn't just government people saying it. Here's the files from a company. This is what's going on. Everything that they say has been going on has been going on, and uh, our employees were working in it. And so uh, as we as we do that, we really are going to have to say, look, if you're going to violate the rights of Americans, whether their parents uh, you know, want to show up to a school board meeting or you know, people that are sending a tweet, uh, whatever, doctors that just want to speak the truth from their own research about uh, a disease that isn't in agreement with the Anthony Fauci, um, we can't have the government shaping what we have. We do not have a ministry of truth. We are not, uh, you know, 1984 wasn't supposed to be an instruction manual on how to create a dystopian future. Uh, we're supposed to not be that way in the United States of America. And so you look on issue after issue, we have to get this government accountable. And a lot of it boils down to these people in the executive branch agencies thinking they're the ones that are supposed to run the government and they're the ones that are supposed to save America, and no one elected them to do anything. And so we have to get our elected officials to actually retake our government from this bureaucrat class that seems intent on imposing their will on uh, on the average American citizen. Congressman Warren Davidson uh, joining us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. I appreciate your time, sir. I really do. And I'm going to ask you one final question before you go, and that's about the rules package that's going to be discussed and voted upon today. What are your, what are the biggest points of contention? What do you think will be the, uh, the biggest argument or argu- uh, points of disagreement? Let's phrase it that way among those who are going to have to vote on this rules package. Well, the, the, the main thing is, um, there are six people that still haven't agreed to support Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and so there may still be things in, in the rules that don't make those folks happy. And uh, because they haven't agreed to support Kevin, they may not fully embrace the rules that are out there. And then there's still a lot of heartburn with some moderates that feel like the conservatives that were uh, not uh, in, in support of Kevin got concessions that were, you know, special treatment that outside what the conference itself agreed to do, uh, that, that, they're like, how, how do we get on board with these rules? 
Uh, having said that, uh, it would be historic for Democrats to cross over and support a Republican rules package. But there are a lot of reforms that, uh, you know, I, you know, I worked with conservatives on from the summer up through uh, this process that really do make the regular member have more power and influence, a better chance to have amendments, a better chance to have uh, participation in the committee process. And it restores many things that were changed really since I've been there in 2016. So there, there are things that since May of 2016, there hasn't been an open amendment of possible on the floor. So when it comes to appropriations bills, you're going to have a much better path to put amendments up for debate and have them considered uh, as part of that path. And so it may be more broadly supported than just our party. It would be historic if it were. Um, but beyond that is do enough moderates have heartburn that they may actually oppose it and may want to negotiate something else. Uh, we'll see. We may end up having a replay of last week. Oh, boy. <laughs> we don't need that. We do not need that, but I understand how it could happen, and I hope uh, that uh, you know the conservative-minded individuals don't cave to moderates. I'm not saying I want to have a fight like last week, but boy, oh, boy, uh, we really do need to get down to the business of starting these investigations and getting the answers that the American people elected you guys to get. Uh, Warren Davidson, I know you'll do your part. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks very much for making the time for us. Best of luck in getting through this and uh, getting the work of the people done. Definitely an honor. God bless you and your listeners. And you, sir. Thank you. That's Warren Davidson on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1128. We'll take a time out, get our newscast, and we'll come back. And we'll have time for a couple of phone calls uh, before the uh, end of the broadcast. If you want to make them, you got to dial now, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Always Right Radio continues. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Oh, yeah. 11.37. Final segment. It's not a long one, uh, terribly, but um, we've got some important things to do in it. I want to circle back to the start of the program, what uh, what we began with, we will end with, and that is the charade yesterday, the dog and pony show, the photo op. Call it what you want to call it. It was not a true investigation of the illegal immigration crisis that is going on at our southern border. Biden finally, just so that he can send his diversity hire, otherwise known as Corrine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, who's gay and black. If you did not know, she's gay and black. They want you to be aware that she's the first gay and black press secretary in history. So her uh, her identity is very, very important to them. So the diversity hire, the gay and black press secretary, can go on there and not have to answer questions from conservative journalists anymore about when is Biden going to go see the border. Now she can say he has. And, of course, what did he see? He saw what they knew he would see, what I knew he would see, and that is a whitewashed version of the border. It's too little, too late, and the President Biden is going to see a very sanitized version of downtown El Paso. I was just there under a month ago. You saw hundreds of homeless migrants on the streets, freezing in the cold. Um, they, were, they weren't getting any help from the city. They were literally being donated blankets and sweaters from the locals there in El Paso. I even interviewed women and children that were freezing out there. On the Mexican side, there were about 3,000 migrants waiting to get in. Many of them actually... They told me they've been extorted by cartels and Mexican police. It's been a complete disaster. And right now, we're, the only reason we're not seeing crossings in El Paso is because the mayor actually declared an emergency, which the Biden administration uh, didn't want the mayor to do, even though the, the mayor had to, because, I mean, all the resources were used up. You have National Guard yeah. there in the presence. But uh, President Biden isn't going to see the reality. He, uh, According to the reports today, he visited a busy port of entry. Well, the illegal crossings are not happening at, at port of entries. They're, ha- they're happening in between that. So you have El Paso, the 
declaring an emergency. I just left Denver, uh, which they, they had nearly 3,000 migrants dropped off uh, since December. They're actually on the brink of an emergency. It's been a complete disaster, but pre- the president didn't get to see the reality today. That's a Jorge Ventura investigative reporter who was on Fox talking about exactly what we talked about, and that is the fact that we're going to sanitize the border to make sure Biden can now go back. And whether it's through his own voice or through that of his diversity hire press secretary, say, you know, the border is fine. The border is not out of control. The border is not what it was made out to be. I went. I saw it with my own eyes. He saw a cartoon. He saw something somebody drew up for him to look at and say, look at there. There's no problem here. Now we can get back to the business of finding a way to legalize and to provide amnesty for all uh, all of the 11 to 20 million illegal aliens who are here right now. He was accompanied, was Biden, by Alejandro Mayorkas, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, who, of course, is doubling down on his ridiculous remarks that the border is closed, that it is not open. And he knows full well that the minute this new Congress, we just talked to Warren Davidson about this, the minute they take over, they're going to start investigations, including investigations of Homeland Security and their surrendering of our sovereignty by way of our southern border. He says he's ready to be investigated. I am joining the president today uh, on his visit to El Paso, Texas. I've been to the border quite a number of times. I'm joining the president at the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City uh, to work with our partners in Mexico and Canada to address the security of the homeland. I've got a lot of work to do. I'm proud to do it alongside 250,000 incredibly dedicated and talented individuals in the Department of Homeland Security, and I'm going to continue to do my work. So you have no intention of resigning? I do not. I've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to do it. Are you prepared for the investigations? I am. I will be, and I'll continue to do my work throughout them. That sounds like a challenge to you, Jim Jordan. It sounds like a challenge because you're going to be the one leading the investigations against people like Alejandro Mayorkas for what they have done to our southern border. Jim Jordan was on Fox yesterday on this. Well, first of all, last time I checked, they just controlled all of government literally a couple weeks ago. So for two years, they had the House, they had the Senate, they had the White House. Why in the world, why in the world didn't they get an immigration solution? Joe Biden refused to visit the border when they controlled all of government to talk about any type of solution. And they've allowed now, frankly, a situation where we no longer have a border. And what they did, and he did it from day one, is they undid the good policies President Trump had in place. Right now, the message they've sent to anyone, and you can't fault people wanting to come here, but the message they have sent is, if you come to our country, there won't be a wall to get over. You won't have to wait in Mexico while we evaluate your asylum claim, and you'll come in and be released to wherever you want to go. That's the message they have sent. So don't, don't tell us that it was a Republican's fault, for goodness sake. We're certainly willing to work to do the policies that, that actually will give us a border, the ones we had under President Trump. But it doesn't seem like the Democrats want to put back in place the very things that actually were effective in securing our southern border. I don't know if there's anyone more smug and condescending on this issue than Alejandro Mayorkas. And I hope they make him one of the very, very first targets of investigation and oversight for what they have done to literally create a humanitarian crisis at the border among the migrants, and a national security crisis at the border among the rest of Americans. What kind of a crisis are we talking about here? This is the um, this is the uh, sheriff of Kinney County in Texas talking about what Biden has done or pledged to do to the border in his county. This is Sheriff Brad Coe. How much of an impact do you think these changes will actually make? They're not going to make an impact whatsoever. Uh, immigration laws have been on the books for for you know, past 40, 50 years. And they're just, uh, this administration is just refusing to enforce those laws. 
my county is being completely overrun. Can we say that again, please? What is it? What has been in place for the last 40, 50 years? One more time. Uh, immigration laws have been on the books for for you know, past 40, 50 years. And they're just, uh, this administration is just refusing to enforce those laws. And that's it. At the end of the day, that's it, isn't it? We don't need new immigration laws. The new Congress doesn't need to come in and make new immigration laws. The immigration laws are already on the books. They were passed by a Congress already, and they have not been repealed. They're just not being enforced by the present administration. They were enforced by the last administration. This is not about needing new comprehensive immigration laws. This is about enforcing existing laws, which will close now with Governor Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, telling the truth about whether or not Joe Biden wants to work with them to actually solve the immigration crisis. During this entire time, Joe Biden has not called me. He did not call me, uh, nor his staff uh, called and uh, let us know either about his visit or to invite us uh, until uh, last night. Uh, we got a random email to uh, one of my staff members uh, asking if I would be there to meet him on the tarmac. Uh, and so they have failed to communicate. And listen, uh, this visit uh, is about uh, two years too late and about $20 billion short of what needs to be done. All he's going to do down there uh, is rearrange uh, the, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. He's not going to achieve any solutions uh, that will make uh, the border safer, more secure, and stop illegal immigration. And if you don't think it matters because we're not a border state, you're not paying attention. Every single bit that you just heard is crucial for our understanding and to make sure our legislators know it. Thanks, everyone, for listening this morning. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my team. I appreciate it. Be well, be safe, stay free. We'll see you tomorrow on 1420 The Answer. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.